Welcome to the podcast at the Hill. You are about to hear a message from Pastor Daniel Blaylock entitled "United in Mission" from our Pentecost series. Amen. If you have your Bible, I'm in Acts one. Acts one, one verse, verse eight. If you've been raised in Pentecost, you can quote this verse. Amen. If you can't, we're going to send you back to kids' church with the kids next week. Amen. Acts chapter one, verse eight. As you find your way to that text. Many years ago, uh, Paul Kahn served as bishop in Atlanta, Georgia. He lived there in that area. And as he was flipping through the yellow pages looking for all the listings of Church of God congregations, he came upon an interesting listing. There was a listing in the yellow pages, and it was simply labeled Church of God Grill. And he thought, what in the world is the Church of God Grill? So he called the number in the yellow pages, and sure enough, someone answered the phone and said, Good afternoon, Church of God Grill. How can we help you? And Paul Kahn explained who he was and why he was curious to know about this apparent restaurant and how it had gotten its name. Well, the man who was managing the restaurant explained. He said, Well, many, a few years back, we started out selling chicken dinners to keep the church doors open. We were really struggling to make the ends meet and to pay the bills, and attendance had really dropped off, and so we were selling chicken dinners to pay the bills, and we started selling them on Sunday afternoons, and then what happened was it really took off, and people really loved the chicken, and other churchers were showing up at one o'clock after their services let out to eat the chicken, and everyone bragged on it. So we were having trouble getting the meal prepared in time with the morning service. So we scaled the morning service back from 11 to 12 to 11 to 11.30. And so we would have half an hour to get in there and get everything ready by the time people showed up. Well, then it really took off because people were bragging on the service. And, you know, the church didn't grow and it just kept going down. But the business was doing really well. So we finally just closed the church and kept the restaurant And we named it the Church of God Grill. Hmm. Reminds me of a sign that I heard of on a building in New York City. Very large, beautiful church building, which was now vacant and empty. And out front was a sign, and it simply said, Gone out of business, forgot what business we were in. And I want to tell you today, there is always a danger for a church to lose sight of what business we're in. Amen. It's so easy to get caught up in activities. It's so simple to just coast in what we've always done from season to season and from year to year. And every once in a while, we need to be reminded of what business we're in. Many years ago, when General Schwarzkopf was leading the first Gulf War initiative, he talked about how the tempers would flare and people around the table from all those different countries would get in arguments with one another and they would fume and rage at each other and he would have to step into the middle of that meeting and slam his fist down on the table and he had trained the people in that room to answer one simple question. He would slam his fist down and say, Ladies and gentlemen, why are we here? And with one voice, everyone would stop arguing and they would answer back, to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. He would ask them again, why are we here? And they would say, to kick Saddam Hussein out of Kuwait. And they would say it until the arguing stopped and they got their attention back on what the main focus was and they finally remembered what business they were in. Can I tell you, once in a while, the Holy Spirit has to blow into a church and shake us by our lapels and say, ladies and gentlemen, why are we here? What business are we in? Amen? 
Now I want to tell you today as we've been studying the passage around Acts 2 and what happened in that great passage, Jesus himself from his own lips tells us in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8 what business we are in and why we are here. Do you have your Bible? Let's read together from the word of the Lord today. If you've got your Bible, read it with me. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me. Say witnesses. In Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There is our mission. We are called to be witnesses. Say that with me. Be witnesses. If there's two words I want the Holy Spirit to burn into our heart today, it is those two words. Be witnesses. One more time. Say it with me. Be witnesses. Amen. Would you pray with me once again? Father, we love you and bless you. Strengthen me to preach your word. Anoint me. Open our hearts to receive it. Plant your word firmly in us that it might bear good fruit. And we'll bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. In his book, Simple Church, Tom Rainer describes three words that every church must be about. Three big ideas, three great commitments that they must have in order to be a, a church like the New Testament church. And he says there's three things. Number one, worship. Number two, community. And number three, mission. When you think about the mission statement of our church, we say it once in a while. We don't quote it every Sunday, but we often say it. If you, The shirt some of us are wearing this morning had the three words on the front, gathering, growing, and going. That's these three words. We are about worship. Say worship. We gather together to worship Christ. And then we're about community. Say community. Growing together in Christ, being discipled, learning God's Word, and living out God's Word on a daily and weekly basis. And number three, say mission. Going out to serve Christ by serving other people in our community and in our world at large. That is what every church is to be about. Whatever you label it, whatever you name it, whatever words you might use, this is the mission that Jesus has given us. Gather, grow, and go. This is God's Word, and so we're to be focused on this. Last week, we talked about gathering in worship. Last Sunday night, we talked about growing in community. This morning, we're going to talk about going in mission. What is God's call on us? And the call we read this morning is simply to be witnesses. Be witnesses. I want to answer a couple of questions this morning as we walk through the text. Number one, let's talk about our vocation. And I want to answer the question, what is our calling? What is it that Jesus has called us to do? And we've said it today, it is to be his witnesses. When I say the word witness, what pops in your mind? What do you think of? I wonder what, what, what bubble is above your head when I say witnesses. Let me take a couple guesses. Some of you are thinking about carloads of well-dressed people armed with magazines who show up on Saturday morning and catch you in your shorts and t-shirt, right, with your hair not done yet, knocking on your door, wanting to leave some literature at your house. You know who I'm talking about? You know you hide in the back room and pretend you're not home when they ring the doorbell? Yeah. That's what some of us think of when I say witnesses, right? They want to tell you all about Jehovah's coming kingdom, Amen. We think about that group when we think about witnesses. Some of us think about the people who leave little comic book tracks and fake $100 bills that when you open them up, you realize are not a $100 bill at all, right? And some clever Christians leave those instead of their tip. Shame on you. If I was a waitress or a waiter and you left me a fake $100 bill and no other tip, I don't think I'd ever come visit your church. Amen? 
Amen. If you wrap that thing in a 20, amen? Amen. If you're going to do that, wrap it up in a good $20, $25 bill and leave it there. Then you might get away with that, all right? We think about that as a witness, someone who does those kinds of things. We think of witnessing. We think of being a witness. Sneak up on people with the gospel through means like that. There's nothing wrong with a good track used in the right way, but don't use it in place of your tip, all right? That gives Jesus a bad name in our church, a bad name in our community. Don't do that. Leave a generous tip and wrap it up in your gospel track. That'll work. That's okay. They might actually show up if you do that. And you treated them well and didn't shake your sweet tea glass when it got empty at them while you were there. Amen? Amen. Amen. When I say witness, some of you think about the awkward relative who starts arguments at every family reunion about religious topics. You know that guy? If you don't know that guy, you might be that guy. Oh my, we've all got that guy, right? That guy or that girl in our family who they're going to break the rule. Not, you're not supposed to talk about, right, religion or politics or one other thing. I can't remember, amen. Uh, but you're not supposed to talk about those things uh, at the t- when you get together with a group of people. Well, it's okay to talk about those things, but it's not okay to talk about them in such a way that you hair lip everybody in the room and turn them off to the gospel, okay? That's not all right. And, and so, but we've all been in those conversations, even as Christians. I've sat there as a pastor while I watched someone who had a lot of zeal but not a lot of wisdom just really tear into somebody who didn't know the Lord and try to give them a hard sell and they ended up probably pushing them further than drawing them closer to coming to church and checking out the claims of Jesus. They just make everyone in the room uncomfortable. Well, when I think about, when I say be a witness, you may be thinking about any of those three things today and I want to put your mind at ease and tell you I'm not talking about either of those three things today. I tell you Jesus is inviting us to do something that is much more exciting and enjoyable than that, much more important than that, and we are able to do it with much more grace than that. Amen? Say grace. We're able to do it with more grace than that. Witness is a noun, not a verb. Say it's a noun. What I mean by that is it's not primarily something we do. It is someone that we are. It's not that I'm going to go witnessing. It is that I'm going to be a witness. The word is used as a noun in the Bible. We are to be witnesses, not just to go do witnessing. There's something here. The word is really a courtroom term. It's a word that's used in the courtroom. Whenever you watch the the, the things on television, you see these courtroom scenes and you see witnesses. Amen? Some of you watch Judge Judy in the afternoons. I grew up with the People's Court and Judge Wapner. Anybody remember Judge Wapner? Oh, I'm dating myself, aren't I? Yes. You remember him? I remember these guys, and you'd watch the courtroom scenes, and everyone would call a witness, and you call witnesses to the stand. There are two kinds of witnesses. Number one, you can be an eyewitness. Say an eyewitness. An eyewitness is someone who saw something. They were there when something important happened. They can testify to what they experienced. That's one type of witness. And you can also have an expert witness. An expert witness is someone who presents some kind of hard evidence. They are an expert in their field, and they talk about what they know about the facts, and they give credence to a case as well. But I want you to notice we're called to be witnesses. Notice that Jesus does not say when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be my defense attorney. Amen? 
Many times we feel the need to defend Jesus or to defend the gospel or to defend God in the culture in which we live. A lot of us feel the pressure to do that. Many of us feel like our country is slipping. It's morally sliding. We often feel like we're under attack, that our values are no longer winning the day and we're not respected and our beliefs are not respected. And we sometimes respond and get angry over that and we want to push back against the culture that's pushing against us and we feel the need to get defensive. I want to remind you today, Jesus did not say, you will be my defense attorney. He said, you will be my witnesses. Say witnesses. You and I are just called to bear witness to the truth about Jesus. Amen? I hear people say, well, you know, you've got to defend the faith. Well, sometimes you do, but that's mainly in the church, not outside the church. The problem we have with losing a grip is people in the church who teach things that are false and wrong. We have to defend the faith in here sometimes from wrong teaching. Out there in the world, we don't expect them to have a lot of respect for the Christian faith or the message. They're lost. They don't know the Lord. They don't know the truth. And we are to love them and be a witness and a light to them and trust that the Holy Spirit will use that to open their eyes to the truth about Jesus and draw them unto himself. Many years ago, someone asked Charles Spurgeon, don't you feel the need to defend the Bible? And Charles Spurgeon laughed in their face and said, defend the Bible? I don't have to defend the Bible. Why, the Bible is a lion. You don't have to defend the lion. Just open the cage. The lion can defend himself. We don't have to defend the word. We just need to proclaim the word of God. And I want to tell you what we know as Pentecostal people is the word of God plus the spirit of God will accomplish the work of God. Amen? When the word of God goes forth and the Holy Spirit touches someone's heart with that word, he's able to do what none of us can do. I am not able to convince a man or woman who is dead in their sin, whose heart is cold toward God of their need of a Savior. I couldn't do it with three hours of preaching, but the Holy Ghost can do it with one Bible verse and 60 seconds of time. He's able to wake up their dead heart. He's able to show them their need of a Savior. And what we ought to do probably is pray more than we preach, or at least pray longer than we preach, that God would do what we cannot do whenever we gather together. Amen? The Spirit does the work, or else nothing is done at all. We can trust Him to do it. We don't have to be the defense attorney, and we don't have to be the prosecutor. Say the prosecutor. We don't have to be the prosecutor. Sometimes we think we have to defend. Sometimes we think we have to accuse. Amen. I've met Christians who think that it is their calling in life to point out everything that everyone else is doing wrong in their lives as if they don't already know that they're doing things that are wrong in their lives. Amen. Can I tell you, God doesn't need a defense attorney and God doesn't need a prosecutor either. We're not called to be the DA of heaven. That job's already filled. Again, the Holy Spirit is God's district attorney. The Spirit of God is able to do that. The Bible says when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict. Say convict. He will convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. When the Holy Spirit comes in the room, He always gets a conviction. He's able to convince men and women that they're lost and that they need to be saved and that Jesus is the only way for that to happen. The Spirit's able to do that. Amen? So we don't have to be the, uh, the, we don't have to be the defenders or the accusers. We can just be the witnesses. Amen? We can be the witnesses. We're not the judge or the jury, just the witness. Well, what does that look like for us? Well, a witness, we have to, number one, we have to use our words. Say, use your words. 
Years ago, I heard a statement that was attributed to some saint. It was falsely attributed, and it, was, it went like this. Some people said St. Francis of Assisi said it. Use the gospel, preach words if necessary. Well, there's two things wrong with that. Number one, St. Francis didn't say it and would never say it because he was a preacher. <laughs> In fact, one of the great preachers of his day. And number two, words are necessary. Many times we think, well, I'm not going to open my mouth and really share about Jesus. I'm just going to let my life speak for itself. They'll know that I'm a follower of Jesus. No, they won't. They will know that you were a good person. They will know that you were moral. They will know that you live an upright, clean life. They will know that you were good and kind and compassionate. They will know all of those things. But if you don't tell them that Jesus is the reason for that, they may not know. Because there are people who don't know Jesus who are all those things. Did you hear me? We must share. Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. While we don't want to be the awkward relative who starts a fight at every family reunion, there's a ditch on the other side of the road. And I dare say most Christians fall into that trap. We don't say enough about our faith. We don't share enough. We don't say anything, perhaps, to other people about our relationship with God. We just don't talk about it at all. We've gone silent. Well, I want to tell you, you may in the courtroom, but in, uh, in heaven's courtroom, God's telling us today we don't have the right to remain silent about our faith. Acts 20, verse 20 and 21, Paul tells the Ephesian elders, I've kept nothing back that was helpful to you, but I have preached, I proclaimed it to you. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have proclaimed both to Jews and also to Greeks repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I've held nothing back that you needed to know in order to be saved. What do you have to know to be saved? Repent and believe. Repentance toward God, faith in Jesus. Turn away from your sin, ask God to forgive you of your past, and trust in Jesus that he died and rose so that you could be forgiven and set free from your sins and live a new kind of life. Repent and believe. Say that with me. Repent and believe. Every Christian ought to be able to share the basic story of how they met Jesus in three minutes or less. Really? Yes. Every Christian ought to be able to do that. Pastor, how would I possibly do that? Follow the simple little outline. Years ago, Bill Hybels equipped people at his church to share their story in three minutes or less. There's a great little book about it. It was called Becoming a Contagious Christian. Bill Hybels said in that book, if your Christianity isn't contagious, it is contaminated. Wow, what a charge. If my, if my faith isn't contagious, it must be contaminated. Because the faith of Christians in the Bible was contagious. They were constantly reaching and sharing and telling, and people were responding to their sharing by coming and trusting in Jesus. How do you tell it? Bible says, just hang your testimony on three hooks. B.C., the cross, A.D. What, what was your life like before you met Jesus? How did you meet Jesus and how has your life been different since you met him? That's pretty easy outline, isn't it? Anybody can preach that message. You can tell your story. Before I met the Lord, these were the negative things that were in my life. This is how I came to trust Jesus. And this is the difference he's made in my life ever since. I would challenge you to do that. You can do that. Maybe you're in the room and you say, Pastor, I got saved as a young man. I don't really have a B.C. story. Well, you would be like me. I met the Lord when I was 11. I was filled with the Holy Spirit when I was 12. And I cannot stand before you and say that God delivered me out of much of anything. Amen? I mean, I wasn't a, I wasn't a car thief. 
I hadn't cheated on my wife. I didn't even have one then. Amen. 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 Bless you. She was six years old when I was 12. Amen. I mean, we weren't, didn't even know each other. Amen. Amen. Uh, I, I wasn't in drugs and alcohol. I wasn't old enough to buy alcohol. Amen. Amen. I had never done much of anything. I guess I had to repent of disobeying my parents a couple times. But, you know, I didn't have to stay in the altar a long time. I didn't have a lot to confess. Amen. But I met the Lord genuinely and truly, and he, he saved me, and he filled me with the Spirit, and he called me into his ministry. And I often wondered, how can I share my story? And maybe you're like me. You met the Lord at an early age. Let me tell you this. Answer this one question. What is one of the deepest needs of your life that Jesus has met? What is one of the deepest needs of your heart that you daily turn to Jesus to find met in your life? Talk about that need. Maybe Jesus has given you a sense of security. Maybe he's given you identity. Maybe he's given you purpose and meaning in life. Maybe he's filled you with love or joy or peace. Maybe he helped you overcome cancer. Maybe he helped you survive growing up in a broken family. Maybe he allowed you to walk through the difficulty of a divorce. I don't know what your story is, but I know everybody's got a story and there's something you can use to talk about how good Jesus has been in your life. Amen? You can be a witness. Say, be witnesses. You will be my witnesses. So we've got to use our words. Say our words. And then we've got to also walk our talk. Say, walk your talk. It's not enough to use our words. We also have to walk our talk. We have to live what we say. There must be evidence in our lives that this is true. Words are necessary. But words are not enough by themselves. If I'm going to talk about how Jesus can change somebody's life, my life better have been changed, and it better be changing. Amen? You know what? If what you're selling isn't working at your house, don't export it. Amen? Amen. Never trust a skinny cook, right? <laughs> if what you're preaching and teaching isn't working for you, then I'm not interested in you telling me about it. Amen? Amen. Just, just not how it goes. Amen. Amen. It's not whether you're a witness or not. If you're a Christian, you are a witness. It's what kind of witness are you? Are you a good one or are you a bad one? Are you enhancing the faith or are you detracting from it? Does your life adorn the gospel? That's the phrase Paul uses. To adorn means to dress something up. Does your life dress the gospel up and make it look attractive? Or is your life, the way you live, like putting shabby old clothes on a good-looking person. Does it dress it up or does it dress it down? Your life, your behavior, your attitude. Our lifestyle is either an asset or a liability to the message of Jesus. Christians are called to be like Christ. The world doesn't expect perfection, but they are looking for integrity and consistency. Amen? And the world has a right to expect that from us. And so what are we called to be? We're called to be witnesses. That is our vocation. Secondly, I want to talk about our qualification. Say our qualification. How do we do it? How do we bear witness? How do we do this thing? Well, we, can, we bear witness in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the thrust of the verse. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And that will cause you to be witnesses. And so we're witnesses in the power of the Spirit. We do this by divine enablement. Every Christian needs to be a Spirit-filled Christian. Because every Christian is called to be a witness. Say that again. Every Christian ought to be a spirit-filled Christian because every Christian is called to be a witness. 
That is the Word of God for us. Tim Hill said the baptism in the Holy Spirit was given to us not for our enjoyment, but for our employment. When God fills you with the Holy Spirit, He puts you to work. He gives you a job, and that job is to be a witness for Christ, to, to use your words and to walk your talk. An eyewitness proclaims the truth of what they've seen or experienced. An expert witness presents evidence to demonstrate that something is really true. We're not only called to tell the story, we're called to present the evidence that the story is true. What do you mean? Well, I believe the Bible gives us a couple ways. Number one, we do it through signs. Say signs. Now, this is one of those places where, as Pentecostal Christians, we're a little different from other people in the church world today. We still believe that the Holy Spirit moves in power and that signs and miracles and wonders, gifts and healing and those kinds of things still operate in the life of the church today. We believe that. We expect that. I haven't preached two of the last four Sundays because the Holy Spirit suddenly moved among us and we stepped out of the way and allowed Him to do what He wanted to do. Why? We believe that the Holy Spirit moves. Mark 16 says these signs will follow those who believe. Mark, Acts 2.43, many signs and wonders were done through the hands of the apostles. We can't program signs and wonders, but we can preach the word and pray for people that have needs. And if we'll worry about the proclamation, God will worry about the confirmation. Amen? If we'll proclaim, God will confirm the word. Lester Summerall, one time, they asked him about praying for the sick. He said, the Bible said, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. I got the hands, God's got the recovery. What about the ones that don't get healed? Dr. T.L. Lowry said the Lord told him, if you don't take credit for the folks that get healed, you don't have to take the blame for the folks that don't. <laughs> it's not between me and them. It's between them and the Lord. Our call as the church is to pray and to believe God, to do miracles. There's reasons when God does. There's reasons when it doesn't happen. Various reasons. We can talk about those. We can plumb that subject on another morning. But the bottom line is we're called to believe God to do the miraculous among us. God confirms his word through signs following. Mark 16, 20. They went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, confirming the word through the accompanying signs. We do it through signs. Number two, we do it through service. Say service. We're called to serve. There are things that only God can do. But there are other things that you and I can do. And we are called and expected to be doing them. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 2 that all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold possessions and goods. They divided them among all as anyone had need. You know what? If somebody needed healing, they laid hands on them and they prayed the prayer of faith. But if somebody needed financial help, they didn't lay hands on them and pray. Hmm. What did they do? They went and sold something they had and they gave them the money. Wow. There are things that we cannot do and we must trust God to do. But there are things that we can do and God trusts us to do them. Amen? My mother used to really struggle with the idea of, Lord, why are there so much, why are there so much need in the world? Why is there so much need in the world? Why are there so many broken people? Why are there people who are hungry or who are lonely or who are suffering? Why are these things the case? Lord, you could do something about these things with just the snap of your fingers. And one night, she walked in and our pastor popped in a cassette tape of Dr. E.V. Hill preaching about Moses. And he said... 
God said, I've come down to deliver. I've heard your cry. I've seen your, your tears. And I've come down to deliver. Come here, Moses, that I may send you. And the reality is this. God is aware. And God has done something about the need in the world. He created a church. And he filled that church with people. And he gave them hands and feet and eyes and ears. Amen. To serve others in his name. Amen. The bad news is people are in need. The good news is God's got the money to supply their need. The bad news is it's still in your wallet. The good news is you can remedy that. God has called us to serve. Say serve. We show that the gospel is real. We demonstrate the gospel is true by meeting the needs that we can meet and trusting God to meet the needs we cannot meet cut the grass, take someone a meal after surgery, babysit for a single mom, buy groceries for a family when the dad recently got laid off from work. There are a thousand ways we can be a witness. You can give someone the CD of a message you heard that would speak to an issue in their lives from God's Word. You can give them books to help them overcome their skepticism about the faith. Books like The Case for Christ or The Case for Faith by Lee Strobel. You can create a new home kit for anyone who moves into your area or your neighborhood. You can drop in a map of the community, a bag of homemade cookies, and a little information about the Forest Hill Church. And you can knock on their door and invite them to come and be with you in your life group. You can create a new baby packet for expectant mothers. You can put a bib and a pack of newborn diapers. You can put a James Dobson book about parenting, and you can invite them to the young adult Sunday school class. There are lots of ways that you can do this. Like Matthew, the tax collector, who had Jesus over to his house and invited all his friends. You can invite people to events that are happening at your church and allow your pastor to do the heavy lifting of explaining the gospel and giving people a chance to meet Jesus. There's lots of ways you can do it. Well, pastor, can, I can do some of those things. Well, as my friend Scott Weaver once said, a little bit of something is better than a whole lot of nothing. Do something. I want to challenge you. Do something this week. Do something this week to advance the kingdom of God. To call someone else into the kingdom of God. To share with them about your faith in Jesus. Or at the minimum, to invite them to come to the house of God. To an event, or to a service, or to a life group. Find a way to do that. Find a need and meet it. People don't care what we know until they know that we care. As we close today, Pastor, what about thirdly, our location? Say our location. Where are we to do this? Well, it tells us, doesn't it? You're to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Where do we do it? Well, number one, Jerusalem. Say Jerusalem. God has called us to reach the people who are near us and like us. Everyone in this room, you've got some people that are close to you, and you have a lot in common with them. Those are probably the easiest people to share the love of Jesus with. You have a lot in common. Link up with them around one of those commonalities. Amen? Uh, if they like to, 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 to quilt, invite them over to your house to sew and quilt and knit. If they like to drink coffee, put on a pot of coffee and invite them over. If they like to golf, take them with you on the green this Saturday. If they like to fish, get them on your boat. Spend some time and around that commonality, just begin to talk naturally about what a difference Jesus and being part of a local church has made in your life. Then we're called to reach Judea and Samaria. What is that? People who are near me, but not like me. You know what? There are all kinds of people that are close to us that are very different from us. We feel that often, don't we? 
Whenever we come in on a Sunday morning, we sometimes sense and feel our differences. There are people that are close to us, but they may be different than us. They may be from a different ethnicity, a different race. They may be of a different social class. They may be of a different political party. God forbid, they may pull for a different football team than you. They may be different from you. Amen. Near but different. You can reach those people too. You can deliberately reach out and build a bridge of friendship with people. And at some point, God will give you the grace to share with them about what a difference Jesus has made. And you can invite them to come and to be part of God's family. Amen. The Bible says that um, God told, uh, Jesus told the man who is set free of many demons at Gadara, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he proclaimed through his whole city what Jesus had done. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do it? Because many of us believe the lie that people are not interested in spiritual things. Can I tell you they are? They are. One Gallup poll said that out of 65 million Americans that have no church affiliation at all, 34 million of them, over half of them said they would attend church if someone invited them. Another Gallup poll suggested that teens, teenagers, would rather talk about God than sex, drugs, or music. Wow. Have the conversation. Begin to share. There are people all around us interested in spiritual things, and you and I have a story to tell. Sooner or later, we have to cross the chicken line and share our faith. Talk about Jesus with someone who doesn't know him. People who are close and like us, people who are close and unlike us, we've got to reach out to them. We deliberately reach across racial, social, and economic and political lines. That's why years ago, Forest Hill planted Nueva Vida, a Hispanic church, because we sensed there were people near us, but not like us. And we had to do something to connect with them in our community. Amen. That, that's why that church exists to this day. That's why our church has partnered at different seasons with the Crichton Church, the New Beginning Church of God, and have gone and helped them with things on their property and things on their building. Why? Because there are people that are near us, but not exactly like us, but we can partner with people, and we can bless them, and we can make sure something is going on in our community that will reach everyone in our community by partnering with others. This is why we reach out to help. Our church can bear witness to this community as life groups adopt local ministries. There are things in the bulletin right now that we can do to bless other people. You can invite people to come to our Kids Fest. You can bring school supplies for Forest Hill Elementary. Hundreds of kids down there, many of whom don't have a church home. And if we love on them and they know about us, would pull on their family to bring them and to come visit our church. Your life group could adopt a mission like Wings of Life or Mission of Hope or Haven of Hope or Waterfront or the Home of Grace. Uh, you could adopt a, a children's ministry like St. Mary's or Wilmer Hall. We could adopt to bless women in our community like the Penelope House or the Women's Resource Center. But we must do something personally and intentionally as groups. And finally, Jesus has called us to share this to the end of the world. Say the end of the world. The end of the world. And thank God this is the end of the message. The end of the world. God has given us a great ministry and we've celebrated it this morning with two teams who recently came back from Honduras who will be going back in October, who next year will be going back to Nicaragua, who go around the world. We've got people like David Mills in our midst who represent world missions, Church of God missionaries all over the world who share the gospel. People like Jameson Creel and others who come in. Uh, people like Chuck Quinley who come in and our church supports and blesses uh, monthly to go and do the work of God. Jesus loves me, but he doesn't only love me, and he doesn't only love those whom I love, and he doesn't just love those who are like me or those 
who live close to me. For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus said, make disciples of all the nations. That's the call of God on the local church. So we partner with missionaries by praying and giving and even going and helping them. We sign up for mission trips to Honduras and Nicaragua. We need people who will go. We need people who will send those who are willing to go but can't afford the trip themselves. We desperately need younger workers to sign up to continue the life-giving work that God has placed on this church and given us a burden to do and accomplish. Some churches fall on the trap of putting all their resources on the foreign field and neglect their own communities. Some churches are all about their community, but they neglect anything beyond their own back door. There's a ditch on each side. God's called us, called us to balance. We cannot neglect either of the three mission fields around us. We're called to reach people who are near us and like us. Near us and nothing like us. And far from us and unlike us. We are called by Jesus to this work. Are we going to succeed or are we going to fail? Church, let me remind you today. Why are we here? This is why we're here. To reach Jerusalem, Samaria, the ends of the earth, to be witnesses for the gospel of Jesus. Stand with me all over the Lord's house this morning. Moses learned in Exodus 1 that God saved him so he could send him. In Ephesians 2 verse 10, you and I learned that God saved us for the same reason. He saved us so he could send us. After Jesus died on the cross, he breathed on his disciples, said, receive the Holy Spirit, and then he said these words, the same way the Father sent me, so send I the Father sent me, I'm sending you, Jesus said. Why are we sent? We're sent to be witnesses. We're sent to share the message. I close with one question. Are you sendable today? Are you sendable? Are you allowing the Holy Spirit to stretch you beyond your comfort zone? Are you crossing the chicken line? Are you sharing your faith? Are you proclaiming the truth with your words? Are you living it out with your walk? Are you presenting evidence today? Are you praying for people, for God to do a work in their life so that whenever God moves, they will know that it was God? Don't be afraid to do that. Pray for people when they have very difficult situations. The next time someone comes up to you and tells you a heartbreaking story and you're standing there and you think, I don't know what to say, I don't know what to do, I don't know how to help, do the one thing that you can. Do you say, Pastor, I can't possibly meet the need or heal the brokenness in their life. Then trust God to do it. Reach out and grab them by the hand and say, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say to you right now, but I know that God loves you and God's able to help you. Can I pray for you? And sometimes the first step to leading someone to Jesus is not by you talking to them, but it is by you talking to God on their behalf. And just reach down and grab them by the hand. And with the tears brimming in your eyes, go to the throne of God for them. Maybe they don't know the Lord. Maybe they can't pray for themselves. But you can pray for them. Grab them by the hand and drag them into the Lord's presence with you. And lay one hand on God and lay one hand on them. And pray. And you know what? They'll feel the love of God in that moment. Pray. And who knows what God will do in answer to your prayer. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone like that come back and say, Pastor, let me tell you what God did whenever you prayed. Wow. Put God on the hook. He's not scared. 
He can back himself up. Turn the lion loose in your life. Amen. So proclaim. Present the evidence. Pray for signs. Serve them. Do whatever you can to bless them and meet the needs in your life. They don't care what you know, they know that you care. So care for them. Do something practical. Love their heart open to the gospel. Finally, are you involved on all three mission fields? I challenge you to pray about going on a mission trip. And if you can't go, I challenge you to pray about sending somebody on a mission trip. But I challenge you this week, cross the chicken line with somebody. And I challenge you to find somebody close to you but different from you and begin to build a relationship. When's the last time you had a cup of coffee with somebody of a different race or ethnicity than yourself? When's the last time you sat down and had a meal with somebody that didn't vote for your political candidate? When's the last time you had someone at your table who was near you but different from you? Build a friendship. Allow the Holy Spirit to help you connect with people around you. Amen? Jesus has called us to be witnesses. You have enough in common in Jesus and in life with people to share your faith without getting stuck or hung up on your differences. Amen? It's quiet and holiness, church. Lord, help us. Every head bowed as we close. You know, there's really four possible responses to the sermon today. Like Moses, you can say, Lord, who, me? You can say like Jonah, no, Lord, not me. You can say like Habakkuk, Lord, why me? Or you could say like Isaiah, standing in the presence of God as the angels cried holy, here am I, Lord, send me. Send me. I challenge you. I dare you. I plead with you. This week, lift your heart up to the Lord. And this morning, say, Lord, send me. Send me. Use me. Use my life to bring someone closer to Jesus. Watch what happens this week. Little is much when God is in it. Psalm 67, 1 and 2. God be merciful to us and bless us. Cause His face to shine upon us that Your way may be known on the earth, Your salvation among all nations. Lord, bless us so that other people may know You through our witness. And we'll thank You for it. Every head bowed. If you're here this morning, I want to ask you today, if the Holy Spirit is laying someone on your heart today, that you need to invite, reach out to, talk to, strengthen a relationship with, I challenge you today, lift up your hand and say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. God is tugging on my heart. And this week, I've got to do something to share my faith. Anybody in the house today? Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Others today, yes. Lord's laying somebody on your heart right now. You know, I've got that friend in my life. I, I could do something this week to begin to pull on them. Yes. If you don't have anybody, I pray that you'll ask the Lord to lay somebody on your heart. There are people around you. Amen. Some of us say, no, I can't think of anybody. You mean to tell me there's nobody around you in your life who's going to hell? I don't believe you. There are. And God planted you in their path to be a speed bump to keep them out of there. Amen. Guys, this is why we're here. This is why what we do matters. People are going to a very real hell. And you and I are called to stand in that gap and bear witnesses. 
to bear witness, to proclaim the love of Jesus, and to help show them that they don't have to go. Are you there? Be witnesses. That's the assignment. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray today, Lord, that those who have been honest enough to say, Lord, there's someone in my life you've planted, you've placed. Lord, give me the, 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 the bravery, the courage that the kids sang about this morning. Lord, let me get up this week and make a phone call or book a meal and let me get out of my car singing, you make me brave, you make me brave. And Lord, let us have the courage to open our mouth and tell someone what a difference Jesus has made in our lives. And trust that you're going to use our testimony to make a difference in their lives. Lord, bless us, help us, do it. Stretch us and use us this week. And we'll bless you and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, and God's people said, amen. You're going to cross the chicken line this week? Amen. Give the Lord a great hand of praise. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast at The Hill. We pray that you were blessed by this message. For more information on what's happening at The Hill and to stay connected, visit our website at foresthillcog.org. Join our Facebook page, facebook.com slash foresthillcog, or download our app from the iTunes or Google Play Store.